When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Welcome to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Now for your host, Dan Mater. Welcome to the show, MD Nation. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and we are bringing you the week one recap continued today as we recap the Sunday night and the Monday night games. And of course, we have a waiver wire segment to get you guys ready and going for week two to make sure you have the best lineups that you can possibly have and some future value, too, in some of these uh, names that we're going to be talking about later on in the waiver wire segment. Of course, we've got some latest news to get to, which is pretty much consists of the updated injury news that I brought to you guys yesterday's podcast. So, so that way you have an idea of what it is that you're looking forward to with some of the guys that you have if they were unfortunate enough to get injured on your teams. Now remember, I'm going to be dropping a video on Sportscaster doing waiver wire segment as well on there. I'll be going a little bit more detail than maybe I will here. But also, it's a great way to check out the podcast on a video version. It's just the waiver wire segment. I try to keep those videos short. They're not the full length of the podcast. I keep them a little bit shorter. I usually just stick to one segment. Later on, I'll do rankings on Thursday video, and then I'll do an injury report either Friday or Saturday heading into week two for you guys. That's the video schedule. Of course, after this podcast, we do not record for Wednesday, but we do come back on Thursday and Friday for your preview episodes in case you are new to the show. And remember, with those with those episodes, you can get your questions in in the mailbag segment. Now, you can always send me any of your questions at any time for fantasy football purposes, and I will definitely get back to you at some point with an answer. That part, I promise you. And you can go to at MDSFFShow, Twitter, or 
at MDFF Show for Facebook. And of course, you can go to the website and send me a direct email, www.mdffshow.com. And I will hand select a few questions that I think a lot of people will have to actually be shouted out and talked about on the show. So it's a pretty good opportunity to get your name mentioned on the podcast. But even if that doesn't happen, I will be sure to answer your questions because I want to be the best tool that I could possibly be for you to help you win each and every week. So let's go ahead and get right into the show. This is a shorter than normal show because we don't have as much to talk about on Tuesdays. So it's a good little way to just kind of get segued from leaving week one, going into week two here on this episode. So let's go ahead, drop that latest news sounder so I can give you guys all the updates. Latest news. So I guess the one silver lining that we are running into is that at least there's been a lot of updates very quickly for the injuries that have come out on Sunday. We have a good idea for almost everyone who was major fantasy relevant and was injured as to what we can expect moving forward. Let's go ahead and start off with Tevin Coleman in this one. He did come out of the locker room with a boot on after Sunday's matchup. After the x-rays came back, it has been determined that he does have, in fact, a high ankle sprain in the, for this injury. So he will miss this week. He will probably be week to week. It'll probably be a few weeks before Tevin Coleman comes back. And in the meantime, it's most likely that Jeff Wilson Jr. will just be activated from the practice squad. That does open up some things for a guy named Raheem Mostert, which we're going to talk about him in the waiver wire segment later on in this show. Another player we have to talk about here, Devin Funches. Broken collarbone, IR designated to return. He could come back later on this season. But I think this is going to be a very good opportunity for Deion Kane. Now, Deion Kane's not going to be fantasy relevant by any stretch of the means. But I do think he's a talented wide receiver. And I would like to see what he's able to do with his opportunity. Because it should be Deion Kane getting the starting job on the outside of the wide receiver position. Not Paris Campbell, for those of you who are wondering if it would be Paris Campbell. He's going to stick to his slot role as the third receiver. Deion Kane is going to be the guy who gets to take over the Devin Funches role on the outside. And I'm very curious to see what he can do. Because he is a true talent and a guy that a lot of people don't know about outside of Indianapolis. He is a guy who has the talent to be a good stud wide receiver in this league mark my words next up we have we had a lot of broken clavicles and collarbones and shoulder injuries this past sunday nick Foles broken collarbone collarbone ir designated to return now this doesn't really affect too much fantasy wise because my needle does not move on the wide receivers at all first of all Gardner Minshew came in he played pretty well but second of all I don't think Nick Foles is that good of a quarterback you guys all know this if you've been listening to the show so Gardner Minshew coming in I don't think that's I don't think it's that big of a downgrade quite frankly and when it comes to the Jacksonville Jaguars wide receivers outside of D.D. Westbrook I am not trying to touch anybody on this roster as far as the wide receivers go. I'm, of course, I'm going to play Leonard Fournette too if I have him, but that's it. I'm not touching. I know DJ Shark and Chris Connolly both had very good games this past week, and DD Westbrook, really, besides the touchdown, didn't do a whole lot. Westbrook's the only guy I'm going to touch, and that would only be in PPR leagues. It doesn't move the needle for me at all as far as that goes. The biggest, the biggest name of all that we have to talk about here is Tyreek Hill. 
injured clavicle may miss a few weeks. We did get confirmation last night during Monday night's game that he is not expected to have to go on the IR. So that's the good news. That means he is expected as of now to be back within eight weeks. But he's going to have certain goals that he's going to have to hit in order to get back onto the field. And that's where it's going to be interesting to see where he's able to progress, how quickly he's able to progress. This injury could have been a lot worse, though. So the fact that they've decided he's not going to go on the IR, which means he could be back at least within eight weeks, because that's exactly what that means, it does put you in a position where you can be able to hold on to Tyreek Hill, and if you can manage half the first half of the season and at least be in position to be in playoff contention, you should still have Tyreek Hill for at least the second half of the season. Maybe, if you're lucky, you only miss six weeks. Maybe. Joe Mixon had an ankle sprain, but it was not a high ankle sprain. It was good news on the x-rays. He is considered day-to-day with a chance to actually be able to play this week. You're going to have to watch that all week long. Make sure you're tuned into my Twitter account, at MDSFFshow, because I'll be having updates probably every day, because there will probably be an update on Joe Mixon every day this week. Juju Smith-Schuster actually did get banged up towards the end of that blowout game with the New England Patriots. The x-rays came back negative, however, and he should be good to go. Same thing goes with Baker Mayfield. His x-rays came back negative after he was nursing a wrist injury, had it wrapped up. He should be okay as well. Sterling Shepard, he entered the concussion protocol. Kind of late. It was kind of odd the way that it happens. And I would be concerned that Sterling Shepard may wind up missing this week because he did seemingly get into the concussion protocol a day later than he normally would have had they actually submitted him on time or earlier or caught it when it actually happened. Uh, Because he never came out during the game at all. So he's somebody you're going to have to watch to see, does he play? Now, Sterling Shepard isn't somebody who I would say should belongs in your starting lineup to begin with, but if he's out, no golden tape. Evan Ingram, his not that you wouldn't bench him anyway, but his ceiling could go through the roof. He had a great game last week. He'll be by far the number one target, and that's just more volume for Saquon Barkley at the same time as well. So that'll be something else to kind of keep your eyes on as we progress through the week here. That pretty much wraps it up for the latest news. I pretty much got everybody that you need to know for now. A lot of big names. Week one's always tough when they're guys that have serious injuries, so... With with the likes of Tevin Coleman being down for a few weeks and Tyreek Hill not being 100% sure, those can be killers, especially early on in the season. But we will get through it. We will push through. And if you keep listening to this show and following along, we'll be able to find you a way to keep you in playoff contention until you're able to get your studs back. So we're going to take a quick break right here, come back on the other side. We're going to recap the Sunday night game. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is now partnered with the Unwrapped Sports Network. Unwrapped Sports Network has a top-notch sports blog covering all sports all the time with a team of talented writers. You can also visit their podcast page to listen to this show and several others covering multiple sports. Sign up for their newsletter and never miss a thing at UnwrappedSports.com. Again, that's UnwrappedSports.com. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just trying to wake up from that snooze fest of a Sunday night game. What a blowout that was. So much for being a rivalry Steelers-Patriots ball game. And I thought it was so funny watching that because we all know Antonio Brown was going to sign the very next day. And while watching the game, all you could think to yourself was the Pittsburgh Steelers wouldn't trade Antonio Brown to the Patriots even though they offered 
a bigger trade package than the Oakland Raiders did because they didn't want to give him to a rival. Well, I have to say, it sure as hell didn't look like a rivalry game on Sunday. It looked like a pretty one-sided affair. And now you get to see Antonio Brown on the Patriots anyway. And it didn't even look like the Patriots need him. Can you imagine? Josh Gordon looked great. Julian Edelman was Julian Edelman. It was very annoying about the four running backs, and we're going to get into all that from a fantasy perspective soon. But if you add Antonio Brown to that mix, um, Ty Brady might... Tom Brady might be more than just a lower-end QB1. He might be a guy who can actually come back and once again compete for the top five quarterback for fantasy football this season. 341 yards, three touchdowns, 24 of 36, and he's about to get Antonio Brown added to the mix. Tom Brady very well may be a top five quarterback for fantasy football again this year, even at the age of 43. It's incredible. Running back-wise, this is what we need to talk about here. Sony Michelle did get 15 carries in this game. It didn't feel like it because of how many guys they were rotating through, but Sony Michelle did get 15 carries in this game. Problem was, he only got 14 yards. So he just was not, just not relevant as far as fantasy goes and just had nowhere to go. I watched most of this game. The Steelers did a really good job bottling him up. Part of it is because the play calling did get a little bit predictable when Sony Michelle was in the game. It was a little too obvious that when he was in there, it was like 75% chance that they were going to run the football. So that's something that's going to have to get worked out. And that's only going to get worked out if they don't rotate running backs the way that they did. Damien Harris was the only running back to not get a carry. Even Brandon Bolden got a carry in last night's game. Rex Burkhead had eight carries in this game. James White had four. Rex Burkhead was actually effective with his going for 44 yards and five and a half yards of carry. He actually looked pretty decent. But the problem is if they're going to rotate through guys like this, you can't make it so obvious that when Sonny Michelle's on the field, you're definitely going to run. And Sonny Michelle owners, look, I'm not panicking right now. I'm not looking to try to, try to trade Sonny Michelle away for any kind of value that I could possibly get. I'm not going to sit there and trade him away for a wide receiver three. Okay, hang on to Sonny Michelle. Sonny Michelle is still going to have a very good season at the end of it. It just might, it just might be frustrating in some cases. You're going to know what matchups to play Sony Michelle when they play against a team that is not very good against physicality and not very good against the run. Michelle will get his work. He just might not be a guy that you can plug and play every single week. He might have to rotate in and out of your lineup based on matchup or expected game flow, at least for the beginning part of the season until. I believe he'll take over in the second half again where they'll start to run it out when it gets colder, pounding ground to some degree. Now remember, the Patriots are not going to be the run-first team that we all expected them to be now that they have Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon and all of these weapons. They, they are going to, it's going to be at least balanced, if not tilting a little bit more towards the pass. So that does cap Sonny Michelle's ceiling to some degree. But like I said, he's not a guy who I'm hitting the panic button on just yet. But I am going to pick my spots for now as to when to play him until there gets to be more consistency in his usage, which I do believe will happen later on in the season. Philip Dorsett was actually the wide receiver who went crazy, and you know what? Good for him. We we all should give him a round of applause. You know why? Because he may not see the ball again this year. I mean, he'll see the ball, but this was probably his best game of the year. Four catches, 95 yards, two touchdowns on four targets. So he's just incredibly efficient with the opportunities that he had. When Antonio Brown comes back next week, I don't know how much Philip Dorsett's going to see the field. I just don't. 
So good job, Philip Dorsett. This was probably your first and only game of the 2019 season, which you are going to be fantasy relevant. Julian Edelman was Julian Edelman. He led the team in targets with 11. Only had six catches, 83 yards, solid performance. The only difference was he didn't get in the, in the end zone to give him that top ceiling that sometimes you like to get out of him. Other than that, though, he did Edelman things. Josh Gordon, three catches, 73 yards, a touchdown on four targets. He was the big play threat. That is what he's going to have to be. Now, with Antonio Brown coming back, Yes, his ceiling goes down in the sense of he's not in a position to get the volume that you were hoping maybe he could be in position to get that could possibly put his ceiling at a high-end wide receiver two, but he's still going to be a high-end wide receiver three, low-end wide receiver two with big play ability. Look, Josh Gordon's going to have great matchups. Josh Gordon is going to beat any second corner in the league. And he's going to get all the second quarters because you're going to be worried about Antonio Brown. You're going to be worried about Julian Edelman. And Josh Gordon's going to be able to just be the big play guy who gets that great matchup on the opposite side. So he's going to still have fantasy relevance. I'm also not panicking on him. A lot of people are like, oh, no, what do I do with Josh Gordon? He doesn't have any chance to be the wide receiver two that I hope that he could be. You're going to have weeks out of him where he's going to be really good. And this offense, and I talked about this a little bit over the weekend when they signed Antonio Brown, this offense really might just be in position, especially when it comes to the pass catchers, that you just want a piece of it. It could become the Chiefs offense, the Rams offense, where you're sitting there like, I just want to have a piece of this offense because no matter what piece it is, he's always going to be a good, consistent fantasy score from week in, week out. This very well could wind up being the same case. It could. There is a scenario in which Edelman, Antonio Brown, and Josh Gordon could all be top 30 wide receivers. Especially now they have all these weapons, they're not going to be as run-heavy as everyone thought they were going to be. So I think that is a scenario. So don't panic on Josh Gordon. On the Steelers' side of the ball, you didn't like anything you saw. It's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Sometimes they start off slow. They're going to get it going. This is still going to be a good fantasy offense at the end of the day. I'm not panicking there either. It was on the road, so... While last year Ben Roethlisberger had seemingly put the home road splits behind him to some degree, maybe they're back this year, or maybe they're just back against the Patriots who have a better defense than I think a lot of people realize and really put it on display on Sunday Night Football. Big Ben was 27 or 47, 276 yards, no touchdowns, interception. He's going to get better. He's always going to be a guy who's going to be on that cusp of a QB1, a high-end QB2. Certain matchups, you know you're going to be able to get top five potential out of him. So I'm not concerned about Ben Roethlisberger for, as far as what his actual value is for the year either. Same thing goes to James Conner. Yes, it was a disappointing game. A lot of studs had a disappointing game. 10 carries for 21 yards, tacked on four receptions for 44 yards on four targets. Not great, but better days are ahead. The only thing with James Conner that would concern me here is, and and oh, well, before we get into that, the one note we should take is that Jalen Samuels was essentially a non-factor in this game. So if anybody still had questions as to what his snap share was going to be, especially in the passing game, they have no reason to question that anymore. James Conner is definitely the featured guy. Now, the only thing that would concern me about James Conner is the Steelers are still doing that idiotic, moronic play-calling formation that they were doing last year, which is called five wide in the red zone. I don't know why third and five, and when any when any time they get inside the 20 and it's second down or third down, they go five wide. I don't get it. This team is so much better when they have a running back next to Ben Roethlisberger as a safety blanket, as at least a threat to possibly run the ball or call a screen. And yet they're sitting out there and they're just, they're just going five wide constantly. 
I didn't think they had the receivers to do that this year. So I really thought their play calling would be a little bit more balanced. Now, yes, they fell down early in this game. So part of that had to do with game script. But they abandoned the run really quickly. And that does concern me a little bit that the play calling may be similar to what it was last year, which does in and of itself cap James Conner's ceiling to some degree. Juju Smith-Schuster didn't have a big game, but he had a, a decent game. Six catches, 78 yards. He still got you double digits in PPR and in half-point PPR leagues. You know, he just he was one touchdown away from having a really good a really good fantasy day. Led the team with eight targets. The second wide receiver as far as target goes. Oh, I'm sorry. Juju Smith-Schuster was actually the second wide receiver as far as targets goes. The first receiver as far as target go, targets goes was Dante Moncrief. He had 10 targets in this game. Ben Roethlisberger went to him. It didn't work out very often. He only had three catches for seven yards. Had a touchdown that he dropped that he should have held on to. James Washington on his six targets was two for 51. Ryan Switzer also had six targets. So Dante Moncrief is definitely the wide receiver too. Ben Roethlisberger was looking for him. I think better days are ahead. Moncrief is still a sleeper. Wide receiver four for me that I think you're going to be able to plug and play as a touchdown guy in your lineups in certain matchups. So I'm not concerned about the Steelers' offense at the end of the day either. It was just a disappointing game. The Atlanta Falcons were very disappointing too. I don't think anybody's worried about their offense at the end of the day either. So don't don't hit the panic button. So that wraps up the recap for the Sunday night game. We're going to take a quick break. Come back on the other side. We got two Monday night games to talk about on the recap and then the waiver wire after that. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is proud to become a new member of Overtime Heroics. Overtime Heroics is a fantastic sports media platform for sports fans all around the world to come and participate in their extensive forums. And now with the merger of the Land Sports Network, the website will soon have great content available from extremely well-written articles to entertaining and informative podcasts from all sports for you to enjoy. All you have to do is register for free at OvertimeHeroics.com to participate. Again, that's OvertimeHeroics.com. Monday night did not disappoint with the great games that we had at our disposal. Both of those games were very good for different purposes. But the best game, of course, was the Houston Texans and the New Orleans Saints game, which is the first one that we are going to recap. And it took us all the way to Monday night to get the best game of the week, in my opinion, for this matchup. Now, we knew there was going to be some good offense involved, but this was a great back-and-forth game with some good defensive moments as well. So you got a little bit of everything in this matchup everything you would want out of a football game. Now, for fantasy purposes, there was a lot to take out of this game, too. Let's start off with the Saints, who were the victors, and the home team in this one. Drew Brees was Drew Brees at home. 32 of 43, 370 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. That is pretty much what you can expect from Drew Brees when he's at home. 300 yards and two touchdowns. Almost guaranteed. Now, when he's on the road, that's going to be the question this season as far as how much can you trust him in your fantasy lineups on a week-to-week basis. I would probably not play him in his first road game this season just to see kind of what happens if you have other options. Drew Brees was one of those quarterbacks that I advise you to take a second quarterback to pair with if he was the one you were drafting because of that just un unbelievable home road spit that he has and you can't ignore it 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Even though it doesn't seem to really make sense, you can't ignore it at the end of the day. So that is why I would I would wait and see what he does on the road. But at home, this is what you can expect, especially what was a plus matchup against what I told you guys was going to be a Houston defense that was going to struggle in the secondary this season. And J.J. Watt, because there's no Jadavion Clowney, was also gone unnoticed in this game. Because he was just doubled and triple teamed the entire time and unable to make an impact because there's nobody else to fear across that defensive line or even the linebackers, for that matter, of the Texans. Alvin Kamara here, 13 carries, led the way, 97 yards, and of course he tacked on 7 catches for 72 yards on 8 targets, over 160 yards from scrimmage. He was every bit of what you want out of Alvin Kamara. Yes, he didn't find the end zone in this one because Latavius Murray did, but he's going to have touchdowns this year as well, coming from receiving, coming from rushing, with one of the highest floors any of the running backs could possibly have. He looked great. He looked explosive. And if the split was any indication, he did get a little bit of a higher percentage share than he used to get with Mark Ingram in this game. Now, it was just week one. So we'll see how this thing whole, whole thing plays out because Latavius Murray looked pretty good in his own right too, and he may have earned the right to get a few more touches. But this is what I talked about. If Alvin Kamara gets put in a position where he gets, just gets 10 to 15% more of the touches out of the backfield than he did a season ago or, or over the last two years with no Mark Ingram, I love Alvin Kamara, and that's why I had him as my RB1 heading into this season because no one has a floor like him. And because he can, he just has as high of a ceiling as it comes, and all he needs is a little bit more work, a little bit more work to average that 18 to 20 touches overall, which is what he got in this game. He got 20 touches to show you that he's going to consistently put up over 100 yards from scrimmage and give you a touchdown or two in most weeks. That's been the great thing about him. That's why he was my number one running back overall. He did not disappoint in this game. Like I talked about Latavius Murray, he got the nice little 30-yard touchdown in this game. Six carries for 43 yards. He looked good. He looked explosive throughout this matchup. He only had two catches for four yards in the passing game, but we're not going to expect him to be very involved in the passing game. Look, Latavius Murray is a guy who has flex appeal because he's in a system where he does have a significant enough role on a offense that scores a lot of points. He's going to have the chance to find the end zone in the rushing game, making him a flex appeal play. And that's going to be a week-to-week thing throughout the season. Now, because the offense in general seems to function better, as does Drew Brees at home, I'm going to lean towards playing him more at home than I am on the road. But there are going to be certain matchups where, on the road, the passing game might not look great, but they're going to lean on the running game. And Latavius Murray is going to have a great role in this entire season. He is going to fill that Mark Ingram role and going to be probably nearly as productive. Now, he may not be as productive, because like I said, I think Alvin Kamara gets a few more touches. Latavius Murray doesn't quite get the workload of Mark Ingram, but he's going to be right there as a flex of play 
for you week in and week out. Wide receiver-wise, Michael Thomas, I mean, not much needs to be said here. 13 targets, 10 catches, 123 yards. He's already on his way to getting well over 100 catches again this season. This was a good start for him. Didn't find the end zone here. He will. I think the bigger story we have to talk about is Ted Ginn Jr., Seven catches, 101 yards off of seven targets. He looked by and far the number two receiver on the opposite side of Michael Thomas over Traquan Smith, even though Traquan was the one who got the touchdown. He only had two targets in this game. So Ted Ginn Jr. does seem like he has taken the role for now as that number two wide receiver. And with a performance like that is not in any kind of danger of giving it up anytime soon. So he's somebody in plus matchups when they're at home, is going to have some surprise upside flex play potential as a guy who maybe you could pick up in a tight pinch. Now, he's not on my waiver wire list for a reason this week. There's no reason to pick him up just as of yet. But when we get into the bye weeks or if we have a plethora of injuries at the wide receiver position that are key, he is somebody who might be of some interest in certain matchups for you that you can plug and play and hope for a home run because he showed you he still has the speed on this team. Jared Cook was one of my busts for this entire season and in a game where the Saints threw the ball quite a bit and were at home, he was a huge disappointment. Three targets only, two catches for 37 yards. Now look, better days are definitely ahead for Jared Cook, but this is what I was talking about. Jared Cook could go back to his old ways where he is maybe a tight end one once every four games, once every five games, where he's not nearly as consistent as he was a season ago, where he goes back to being what he was his entire career, which is more of a decoy as an athletic tight end than an actual involved player in the game plan. Because this was a good matchup for him. Now, look, I'm not saying he's only going to put up 37 yards in every single game. That's not what I'm saying. He's going to have some good games this season. Breeze did want to go to him in the red zone. He did look for him. Had to look off of him several times because the Texans were covering predominantly him in the red zone. I don't understand why. Because they seem to just back off and play zone and let Alvin Kamara catch balls underneath all day long, which is, to me, worse when you're playing the Saints. I'd rather have Jared Cook beat me than Alvin Kamara. But that was how the game went. On the Texans' side of the ball, Deshaun Watson was very impressive in this game. 20 of 30, 268 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Did rush for 40 yards and a touchdown, so he was great for your fantasy teams this particular week. He looked great throwing the ball, and he looks like he's going to be a consistent QB1, possibly competing for a top three quarterback position overall all season long, especially as long as he has his weapons on the field. Will Fuller looked great. Kenny Stills got a 37-yard touchdown at the end of the game to give them the lead. Look, all signs point north. I mean, of course, he's got DeAndre Hopkins. All signs point north for the Houston Texans offense in general because the big story to me was Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde looked great. He made you wonder why Kansas City necessarily want to move on. Now, they got went and got LaShawn McCoy, so it was understandable. But a lot of people thought Carlos Hyde was going to get cut. He looked fantastic. 10 carries, 83 yards. He looked explosive. He was physical. He was definitely amped up. He definitely came out in this game with something to prove. He had a chip on his shoulder early on, and he was the one who got the start. Now, the roles were as expected. Duke Johnson got nine carries. He only had one less carry. He was efficient with his as well as he got 57 yards. Had a nice 32-yard run in there. So he wasn't just an afterthought. The big thing here was Duke Johnson was also five targets, four catches, 33 yards. 
So it does look like Carlos Hyde is going to be the main runner. And Duke Johnson's going to get a little bit of both. He's going to run some. He's going to pass some. I'm not overly concerned about Duke Johnson if you drafted him. I'm a little bit worried, though, that his ceiling may be capped. Because while I expected Carlos Hyde to be in some sort of a rotation with Duke Johnson, but I thought that Duke Johnson would get the opportunity to show that he could be the featured guy. While I expected there to be maybe a 55-45 split as far as the carries go, and Duke Johnson getting most of the passing work, which that part did come true, Carlos Hyde actually got more carries. That was only one more carry, but this looks like it's going to be more of a 50-50 split with the carries, where Duke Johnson's getting more of the work in the passing game. Carlos Hyde could wind up having even a bigger role after this week, too, because remember, he just joined the team a week ago, so how immersed into the offense he actually is is to be questioned, and he already looked good, and he gave the Texans a pretty good run game in this and gave him a chance to be balanced. So Carlos Hyde also earned the opportunity to maybe play a little bit more. So my point is that this is going to be more of a 50-50 split than I expected between Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson when it comes to the carries. At the end of the day, I think Duke Johnson is what he is. He's a high-floor, low-end RB2 in a PPR league with some upside because he does have big playability. In standard and half-point PPR, he's a flex guy at best. But he's going to have some opportunities because it's an offense that's going to score a lot of points. He's going to have big plays. So at the end of the day, I'm not panicking on Duke Johnson. He didn't have a bad game here. It just is something to keep in mind that his ceiling of what you may have drafted him for in the sixth round to be an RB2 may wind up being capped by the surprising play of Carlos Hyde. As far as the receivers and the pass catchers go, DeAndre Hopkins had 13 targets in this game, played absolutely great. Eight catches, 111 yards, two touchdowns. He was all over the place. And for those of you who are wondering, oh, DeAndre Hopkins, sometimes his target share gets cut down when Will Fuller's on the field and actually healthy. The second most targeted person was Duke Johnson with five. Will Fuller, Kenny Stills were both targeted three times in this game. And this was a game where there was a lot of passing and it was going back and forth. DeAndre Hopkins dominated target share. So no worries with Will Fuller being on the field exactly as to what Duke, Duke um, sorry, sorry, I keep calling him Duke, Nuke Hopkins, what his target share is exactly going to be. So that's what you have there. That wraps up that game. Now we had the second Monday night game, the late night game, the game I struggled to stay up in, with the Raiders and the Denver Broncos. I did not think the Raiders would be able to win this game, but there's a lot to take away here for football and for fantasy purposes. Let's start off with the Broncos in this matchup as we start off with the road team here. They looked flat on offense and on defense to start the game. Joe Flacco looked lethargic throughout this game, especially in the first half. He didn't look like he got his feet under him until the fourth quarter of this matchup. They looked Their offensive line looked outmatched. They didn't look like they had a lot of energy, and as a result, there weren't a lot of holes for Philip Lindsay or Royce Freeman to run through. And they also kind of abandoned their running game a little bit early. They came back in the third quarter and the second half and tried to get back to the running game, but they fell down by two touchdowns. That's it. It's only two scores. And they wanted to seemingly abandon Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman and what they do best in the play action. Like I said, they did try to come back to that in the third quarter and they got the offense going a little bit after that. But that's a big reason why 
Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman didn't have as good of fantasy days as they probably should have in this type of a matchup. But I'm not worried about it at the end of the day. This offense is still going to be a run-first offense. It's still going to work through Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay. Freeman on the day was actually a little bit more efficient with his touches. He had 10 carries, 56 yards, while Philip Lindsay had 11 carries for 43 yards. It truly does look like it's going to be about a 50-50 split as far as the carries go. Philip Lindsay, though, what you can ride home about, why he still has the bigger floor and the bigger upside at the end of the day, not just because he is more of a playmaker, but Philip Lindsay is involved in the passing game. Devontae Booker only came in a couple of plays this one, so maybe they are actually at least going to leave him out of the mix and allow Philip Lindsay to be the pass catcher out of the backfield as he had six targets, which was third most on the team for four catches and 23 yards. I expect better days ahead for them. I'm not too worried about Philip Lindsay moving forward. For the receivers, Cortland Sutton looked great in this game. I had talked about how I liked Cortland Sutton a lot. He was going to be the ex-receiver in what is a Shanahan system that usually does get peppered with targets, and he did in this one. He led the team with eight, had seven catches, 120 yards, took advantage of what should have been a favorable matchup for him to begin with. The only thing is he just didn't find the red zones. The only thing he didn't do last night, but he was very good all season long. He looks primed, and physicality-wise, he looks like he's ready to take a jump up this season. I wouldn't be surprised if Cortland Sutton stays the favorite target of Joe Flacco throughout the year. Meantime, though, Emmanuel Sanders was very good in this game. He looked good physically, looked good running the football. He was able to play through all four quarters and seemingly got stronger as the game went on. He had seven targets in this one, five catches, 86 yards, and a touchdown. What this tells me is that Emmanuel Sanders does have low-end wide receiver two upside. He is a guy who you're going to be able to play on a week-to-week basis, especially in the flex. Now, I expect their defense to play better upcoming. That was kind of surprising to me how flat they came out. They have more talent than what they showed in last night's game. And therefore, the Denver Broncos are going to try to grind out more games than throw the ball around. But it's good to know that Sutton Sanders are going to dominate those pass catches when they do decide to throw the ball. Noah Fan here is the rookie tight end. Five five targets, two catches, 29 yards. The only thing to really take away from here is that he was clearly the starting tight end. Jeff Huberman was healthy and in this game, so he was clearly the starting tight end to go with here. And while he didn't have a great statistical line, he is somebody you're going to be able to look forward to better games ahead with. And because of his athletic ability, he's one of the few rookie tight ends that I actually feel like could have a fantasy-relevant season somewhere down the line. On the Raiders' side of the ball, Derek Carr was pretty good. He was pretty aggressive earlier on in this game, which is what you want to see if he's going to have any kind of fantasy relevance. But for a game which the Raiders looked really good, especially in the first half on offense, he still only had 259 yards and a touchdown. He still just doesn't have a ton of upside when it comes to fantasy football, but he may have a decent floor. He was 22 of 26, so he still has his high completion percentage that he did. He made really good decisions all throughout the night, so he's going to be serviceable. Serviceable enough to keep the guys who you do care about for fantasy purposes very fantasy relevant. Josh Jacobs here was the bell cow, and I suspected that he would be. 23 carries, 85 yards, had two touchdowns, but the biggest thing is that they stuck with him, let him play all three downs, and let him be the bell cow. Jalen Richard was not targeted once in this game. Now, Josh Jacobs was only targeted once in his own right. They didn't. They just didn't use the running backs very much as far as the passing game goes in this game in general, but Jacobs did have one catch for 28 yards, and we do know that's the strength of his game, so if they're willing to give him the ball that much on the run when they do 
actually have to use the running backs to throw the ball more, he will be involved. Now, Rashard did play on some snaps, but he just didn't get a lot of touches. This is definitely 100% Josh Jacobs' backfield without a doubt which is what you love to see where you drafted Josh Jacobs. He's going to be a high-end RB2, I believe, for the rest of the season. Tyro Williams showed you, I don't need A.B. to be effective. As the number one wide receiver, he looked great. Seven targets in this game, six catches, 105 yards, and a touchdown. He made two really huge catches in traffic. He looked pretty good. Look, I'm not saying Tyra Williams is suddenly going to be this great play week in and week out, but he is going to be a guy who's a high-end wide receiver three with low-end wide receiver two upside in certain matchups. And next week when they go to play the Kansas City Chiefs, he is someone who I'm going to look to play and start in my lineups somewhere, whether it's wide receiver two or whether it's the flex. Because as the number one guy in plus matchups, he's definitely part of the featured offense. The other guy who's definitely featured in this offense is Darren Waller. Darren Waller was my second sleeper tight end next to Mark Andrews this season because you knew the Raiders were going to use a tight end and you know what kind of an athletic pass catcher he is. Now, he's not much of a blocker, but he's a great pass catcher. He led the team in targets in this one with eight, seven catches, 70 yards. He looked great as well. I think he's going to be somebody who gets used week in and week out in this offense and somebody you should definitely be picking up if he is available. Now, he is available in less than 50% of leagues, so he's not going to be on the waiver wire segment, but it's pretty close to that 50% mark. So if you need a tight end, definitely make sure you check your league to see if Darren Waller is available. They're going to utilize the tight end similar to how they utilized it with Jared Cook in this matchup. The only one I want to talk about here, other than those guys, is Hunter Renfro. Only had three targets in this game, two catches, 13 yards. He was somebody who I thought may wind up having PPR value and that this was going to be a good game to try to get a idea on that. Now, we know Denver Broncos' Chris Harris, he'll line up and play the slot a lot when they go three corners deep. He did see Hunter Renfro quite a bit in this game. Usually, Hunter Renfro is going to have the better matchup of the two, but Right now, it's Tyra Williams, it's Darren Waller, and we have to see how this offense goes. He's not somebody who's on my radar as of yet for PPR leagues, but somebody just to keep an eye on. That wraps up those games. We're going to take a quick break right here. Come back with the waiver wire segment on the other side. Tired of spending hours upon hours on research for your drafts, but still want the excitement of having something on the line while watching the game? Well, join the Thrive Fantasy app where they have streamlined the process for you to make it easy and fun to play along. Use promo code MDFF when you sign up with a $10 deposit and receive an additional $10 for free. Again, that's promo code MDFF. Now we got the waiver wire segment. Now we can officially put week one behind us, win or lost, and look forward to week two and trying to get the best players we possibly can for our teams. And for a week one, for or going into a week two, coming out of a week one, this is probably one of the largest waiver wire segments I have had in the beginning of a season. There's just a lot of value for a lot of different reasons, and we're going to talk about at least 10 guys right here for you that you'll be able to pick and choose from and should be valuable to you for your waiver pickups this particular week. Starting with, and before I get into that, my waiver wire segment is basically, it's based off of being at least 50% or less or more, I should say, or more available. And I base it off of a universal average of all the top platforms. So I take 
ESPN, I take Yahoo, I take CBS, NFL Network, I take all the major platforms out there that a lot of people play fantasy football, I average them together and get that number to tell me who is universally available throughout those platforms. So that way people from all over, wherever you're playing fantasy football, can come listen to this show and know that the waiver wire segment has a very good chance to be relevant for you, which is my goal for you at the end of the day. So this is the list that I came up with with guys that are universally, on average, available to you throughout the different platforms. So first up, we have Jimmy Graham at 47%. Yes, he scored the touchdown. He only had a couple of catches, but for a tight end, I do believe Jimmy Graham is going to be a red zone threat this season, throughout the season. I Like I said before, I don't like Matt LaFleur. I pretty much don't like anything he does, but if there's one position that may get amplified by him calling the plays, it would be the tight end, and it would be Jimmy Graham in the red zone. I think he is a guy who's going to threaten to have a possibility of a touchdown for you each and every week, and for a league that is desperately looking for tight ends, I think Jimmy Graham is definitely one of those guys. TJ Hawkinson would be another one of those guys. He's another tight end that I have on this list. I, I admitted defeat, or I admitted that it was a bad call on my part in the first place uh, when, I, when we recapped that game for the Detroit Lions and the Arizona Cardinals in yesterday's podcast. I said, too, I was worried about TJ Hawkinson because I get worried about all rookie tight ends. I'm worried about Noah Fant, too. And maybe Noah Fant's going to wind up proving me wrong. But for TJ Hawkinson, he looked ready to go. I mean, over 100 yards and a touchdown, he, he already looked dominant. And my big thing for him was, like I said yesterday, how much were they going to play him over Jesse James after giving Jesse James a pretty decent contract and that question was answered so if that's going to be the case and Hawkinson is going to be very much in the mix with Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones and Danny Amendola and Carrion Johnson and looking that dominant and always going to have a favorable matchup because the game plan is still going to be to stop those other guys TJ Hawkinson somebody you can go ahead and pick up as a tight end and I think play him as a borderline tight end one week in and week out if you wanted to. You could pick this. This could be your George Kittle pickup of the year. You could pick him up and never have to worry about the tight end position again for the rest of the season. I truly believe he's in that situation. And he's only owned in 30% of leagues. So he should be available to you. Another guy, I'm not in love with him, but given the circumstances, he is somebody who has to be on the waiver wire list, and that would be Ronald Jones. You know I don't believe in Ronald Jones' talent. I'm not a fan but the one thing was clear, he was definitely way more effective than Peyton Barber. I'm not a fan of Peyton Barber either. So in a situation where the Buccaneers are going to be going back to the drawing board, they got to play Carolina on Thursday night football this particular week. They're going to have to take what positives they could out of that San Francisco game and try to apply them with Carolina. I would not be surprised if Ronald Jones winds up taking over the job heading into week two. He was just that much more efficient. Still wasn't great, but he had a couple decent runs to set him up. So Ronald Jones is somebody who might wind up being a starting running back in the NFL, so he has to make the waiver wire segment. But I would caution, I'm not dropping anybody valuable for him. Maybe one of your guys got hurt, you have an IR spot, you don't have to drop anybody worth of value. Maybe you have somebody on your team that you're just ready to move on from after week one. Fine. But I'm not dropping anybody of value for Ronald Jones. Justin Jackson's on this list. 
He's only 40% owned, which shocked me. Justin Jackson should be 100% owned because Austin Eckler is 100% owned. Now, yes, Justin Jackson did not get as many touches as we were all expecting him to. Austin Eckler way out-touched him in that game. I think it's going to get back to being a little bit more balanced heading into Week 2 because I do not believe that is the Chargers' game plan. Austin Eckler is not supposed to be a three-down workhorse back. That's not the role he's supposed to play. So I would not be surprised if they have an emphasis on making sure Justin Jackson gets a few more touches next week. And on therefore, We know this is going to be a rotation. We know this is going to be a committee. We know Eckler has the passing-down role. But Justin Jackson should be owned in all leagues because Austin Eckler is. And Eckler's not a guy who's, in my opinion, built to have that much of a work share every single week. And Justin Jackson looked good. He only got a few opportunities, but he looked good in the opportunities that he did have. So you're not worried about game playability in this one. Next up, we got Giovanni Bernard. He's owned in third or he's only owned in 32% of leagues. Now, this is completely contingent on Joe Mixon not playing in week two, obviously. I mean, if you're a Joe Mixon owner, you may want to go ahead and pick up Giovanni Bernard regardless. And look, Mixon has shown us injury issues in the past. Ankle injury, this is not the first time we've had this issue with him. Now, thankfully, like I said in the latest news segment, it was not a high ankle sprain. So he's not going to miss a ton of time. But if he does miss this week, Giovanni Bernard immediately becomes a flex play in all leagues, in all formats. And if you're a Joe Mixon owner, you really should think about having Gino Bernard because you could have issues with Joe Mixon all year long, especially considering the offensive, coordinate, the offensive line being as poor as it is. So keep that in mind too. Next up, we got Marquise Brown. Big, big game out of him. What was surprising to me is that he only played in 12 snaps. That was it. 12 snaps, but he had five targets on those 12 snaps. He is definitely a favorite target of Lamar Jackson. He is definitely going to be the guy they go to to help stretch out the field, and they're going to have opportunities to stretch out the field. First of all, the Baltimore Ravens probably have one of the most favorable schedules in the NFL this season. On top of the fact that how effective their running game is and how heavy it is, when they do play action pass, those passing lanes are going to be more wide open than they normally would be. And Marquise Brown showed you he's not just fast. He knows how to run routes. And this is what I was talking about all the way back in April in my NFL Draft Prospects episode when I was talking about Marquise Brown as my number one wide receiver in this draft class. He wasn't just fast. He could run routes. He understood how to do that on a veteran level already. He has a full tree. He put that on display because it wasn't just big plays that he was impressive on. He got five catches. He got separation every time he was on the field. And even when you look at those big plays, it was the nuances in the way he ran his patterns. The stop, stutter, step, being able to lean his body in, being able to stim a guy. Those are all veteran-type moves Marquise Brown already understands. It was impressive. And he's going to be the number one wide receiver for the Ravens. Now, I still think the number one pass catcher could wind up being Mark Andrews, who also had a big game. But the number one receiver is going to be Marquise Brown, and he's going to be a guy who could be a home run threat in any given week. Now, you're not going to be able to play him every week. He's still going to be a roller coaster. He's still going to be a big player bus guy. But he's definitely somebody who's going to have flex appeal to you in the right matchups in any given week. And they have a lot of what I would call right matchups coming up. Next up, Adrian Peterson is only 27% owned. Rightfully so. 
because he did get in called inactive, a healthy inactive heading into Sunday. So I can understand why a lot of people maybe needed to drop him to make a move, whatever the case may be. But now it's time to pick Adrian Peterson back up because Darius Geis is hurt. He hurt his other knee. Not exactly sure what the prognosis is or what the details are as of recording this podcast late Monday night. However, we know that he's not expected to play this week and maybe multiple weeks. So Adrian Peterson now becomes the number one running back again in Washington. And we have Peterson and Chris Thompson, who just so happens to be my next guy on my waiver wire list. Because he's only 19% owned. Now, I'm not rushing out to, dr- to pick up Chris Thompson if I'm in a standard league. But half-point PPR, full-point PPR, yeah, he showed you why. He's going to be heavily involved in that passing game. They need safety blankets. Their receivers actually performed better than I could have ever thought they would against the Eagles this past Sunday. Case Keenum performed better than I ever thought he would this past Sunday. Chris Thompson was still heavily utilized and will continue to be so because he's probably one of the safest pass catchers and most reliable pass catchers that they have. So Chris Thompson, only 19% owned? Yeah, he's definitely a guy who I make a note of. Adrian Peterson as well. He's going to be a starting running back for you. He looked pretty good in the preseason. You could check out articles by Chris Dowhauer on the mdffshow.com website where he talks about in his preseason overview... He talks about Adrian Peterson looking even quicker and better this preseason heading into this year than he did last year. So check that out on the website. But, yeah, those are great steals right there. Jameson Crowder, 47% owned. If you are in a PPR league or a half-point PPR league, you need to pick up Jameson Crowder. It is clear that you know, not just because he had 14 receptions on 17 targets in a 17 to 16 game, so it wasn't even a game that was out of control. And the Jets were actually in the lead for most of this game, and he still got all those catches and targets. It wasn't like they were coming from behind for the majority of it. They actually led the whole way until the very end, and he was that utilized. Part of it, sure, could have been that Robbie Anderson had a tougher matchup and was nursing a calf injury. That's how it's going to be for most of the season, though. And like I said, and I'll keep saying it. Sam Darnold and Adam Gase, the one position that they can amplify as a unit is the slot receiver. So if you're in any type of PPR league, Jameson Crowder should be picked up in your league. DK Metcalf at 37% is intriguing to me. I said going into the season that there was a reality in which I could picture DK Metcalf having a Martavius Bryant type of fantasy season this year if he got the opportunity to start. That's what happened. And we saw glimpses of that. Now, he didn't score, but six catches for 89 yards? Yeah, he showed his explosive ability. He showed his ability to go up and get the ball. He showed his ability to get physical. He showed how fast he is. He's going to have big games this season. And being until David Moore comes back, and maybe even then if he continues to play like he did on Sunday, he actually should have a decent floor, kind of like how Martavius Bryant did, because there's going to be enough targets heading his way as the opposite starting receiver of Tyler Lockett that he won't be as roller coastery as you would expect. Especially being a more bigger physical type of guy, he's a red zone threat as well, so he doesn't just lean on the big play. That's the great thing about DK Metcalf, which is why I have him on the waiver wire list. 
Another guy, Alexander Madison. Alexander Madison is only 21% owned. He was very impressive in that week one against the Atlanta Falcons when he got his chance to get in the game. And if you're a Dalvin, he should be 100% owned because if you're a Dalvin Cook owner, you have to own Alexander Madison. We all know Dalvin Cook's injury history. Madison does look like he could still be a very good RB2 if something were to happen to Dalvin Cook. You got to pick him up. You got to be safe. You got to prepare. This is the part of the season where it's, you know, time get rid of the bottom fodder on your bench. You're going to have plenty of time for bye weeks. You're going to have plenty of time to make moves. That guy you were stashed away, if you have Dalvin Cook, you need to pick up Alexander Madison. The last guy I want to talk about for the waiver wire segment is Raheem Mostert. He's owned in less than 1%. Tevin Coleman's going to, like I said, is going to be out for at least a few weeks. Could be a month. Raheem Mostert looked pretty good when he got to come in the game. We know Matt Breida is an injury risk in every single game as well. We know that even if he doesn't, this will be still continue to be a committee and be a rotation between Mostert and Breida. With Jeff Wilson, you know, coming off the practice squad. So we know all this. You got to go ahead and pick up Raheem Mostert. He could be a flex play for you starting this week. So less than 1% owned. He's definitely available in your leagues at somebody who I would definitely make a priority for because he could definitely be a flex play for you if need be in the few the next few upcoming weeks. That's my waiver wire segment. Like I said, I'm going to go into more detail, maybe have a couple of extra guys when I do my video later on tonight on Sportscaster. Check me out at sportscaster.com. It's MDFF show. USN is the profile. I'll tweet out the live feed streaming, you know, share account URL on my Twitter about a half hour probably before I do the video. So keep an eye out for that later on tonight. I hope to see you guys all on there. It's interactive. So if you jump on while I'm live streaming and you you ask a question, I will be able to take time to answer your questions there too. So take advantage of that as well, especially going into our first waiver wire period of the season. Very pivotal. That's going to close down the show. Remember to follow me at MDSFFshow on Twitter, at MDFFshow on Facebook, and check out the website, www.mdffshow.com, which also has articles on it now. have the rankings up. Articles, episodes, scoring leaders, everything you need for your fantasy season. It's all available to you. The articles have been great, written by Chris Dowhower. Make sure you check those out. Great observations there. Of course, check out any one of my networks, Overtime Heroics, Belly Up Sports, and the Unwrapped Sports Network. My peers over there doing great work, too. And of course, you know, make sure you're listening to the show on Radio Public or any one of your favorite podcast apps and drop me a review, a five-star review on any one of the podcast apps that you listen to would be a huge help for the show and would immensely help me be able to immensely help you in return. So please do that too. And of course, make sure you get in touch by tweeting, Facebooking, or direct emailing me from the website. Thank you, guys. I will see you guys on Thursday for our first preview episode of Week 2. Thank you for listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.